This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray. Father, we, we pour out our praise to you for your gospel. The glorious mercy that we see in, in the gospel, in the text that we're going to look at today. Um, Lord, may, may our praise resound from our hearts and through our lives to you for the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today as we just take a dive right into the deep end of the pool of your grace in this text. Speak to us now, we pray through your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Romans, and uh, if you are new today, we are in the midst of a study of Romans. We're kind of walking through verse by verse through Romans, and uh, we have, uh, last week we talked about, uh, in the early part of chapter 3, what we saw there, and what we've really been seeing all the way from 118 uh, through today, is we've been seeing our great need for Christ. The fact that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We've been seeing our great need for Christ. And really all of that has been a prelude to what we're going to begin to see today in 321 and following, which is the great Christ that we need. <laughs> we see in this text, the gospel is unveiled to us. And so let's take a look at it today. Romans 3, and we're going to read uh, verses 21 through 28. And uh, I'm going to ask you in honor of God's word if you would just stand as we look at the text together. The great Christ that we need. Romans 3.21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You can be seated. <clears throat> Over the past few years, you probably noticed um, Brazilian steakhouses kind of popping up uh, all over the place. And uh, if, you like, uh, if you like grilled meat, this is kind of cool uh, because these guys just keep bringing over to your table these, these skewers of meat <clears throat> right off the grill. Steak and chicken and pork and lamb. I mean, wh whatever you want. I mean, they just keep bringing these skewers that are just kind of kind of right off the grill, and, and, it's, and it's all you can eat. 
friend of mine invited me to join him for lunch the other day at a Brazilian steakhouse. Some of you will chuckle when I tell you that friend was named Alan Cruz, uh, which means that uh, there was a whole lot of eating and a whole lot of laughing that was going on at that table. And the, and the deal with these Brazilian places is that they give you a card and uh, one side is green and one side is red. And if you hold, if you have the, the, the red side of the card up, then that's, the, that's sort of like a, a red light. <laughs> and that's the cue to your server. Uh, you're, you're basically saying, I can't handle anymore. <laughs> Don't bring any more right now. But if, but if, you, if, you, if you turn up the, the, the green side, that's a green light. And you're saying to your server, bring it on. Bring it on. Well, our text today is kind of like a Brazilian steakhouse. I mean, because it is just skewer after skewer of, of juicy, nourishing gospel meat for us. So, so hold up, your, get your green card ready, because God has all kinds of, of riches in store for us uh, in this text about the good news of Jesus. It's all about the, the good news. So what do we see here in this text about the good news of Christ? First of all, we see that the good news is that God has intervened to rescue us. So from 118 through 320 of Romans, I mean, we have seen our absolute peril as human beings without a savior. We have seen our, that we are guilty before a holy God who hates sin and must punish it. And so therefore we have seen that, that we are in an absolute perilous state without a, a, a savior. And that section began in 118 where, with Paul talking about the wrath of God being poured out. He says there, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then what we saw after that is that that's us, <laughs> that we are ungodly, that, that we are unrighteous, and that if we got what we deserved, then what we would be getting would be the, the, the wrath of God. And last week, that section just sort of came to a climax. And we saw there in chapter 3 and verse 9 that all human beings... All human, Jews, Gentiles, everybody, every human being is, is under sin. And then we saw in verses 10 through 18 that Paul just presented a, a mountain of evidence to, to show our sin. And then in verses 19 and 20, we saw the verdict. And since 19 and 20 lead directly into 21 and following, let's go back and let's look at verses 19 and 20 once again. We, we, see, we see there, Paul says in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So what we see there in verse 19 is that all of us, uh, have transgressed the law of God. There's really no adequate defense that we can make. <laughs> we are rendered speechless. <laughs> it shuts our mouths. We can't boast of it. We can't have nothing to boast of. I mean, we can't, we can't uh, tout our own self-righteousness. We have all transgressed the law of God. There's no adequate defense. We are rendered speechless. And it says here at the end of verse 19 that we are accountable to God. You may not like to think about the fact that you're accountable to God, but that's really irrelevant <laughs> because whether you like to think about it or not, you and me and every other human being is accountable to a holy God. And every single one of us is going to stand before a holy God one day. 
And the issue is, is how we are going to stand before him. Because your record will not make you right before him. That's what Paul is, is, is saying here. He says that, that, that our record, if we, if we stand before that holy God in our, in, our own, in our own works, in our own record, our own record will not make us right before this God. We can't make ourselves right before him through self-effort, which he says in verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, God's law points out our sin. It shows us our sin, but it also shows us that we fall short of his holy standard. And so we cannot be made right with him through our own record. Your record will not make you right with God. You know, in our culture, we, we develop something called a resume uh, when we're looking for a, a job. And so what are you doing on a resume? You're, you're putting down all of your experiences and your education or, you know, whatever, the things that you've, you've done. And you're, you're, basically, and you're basically saying to an empl employer, accept, ex please accept me based on my record. Here's my record. Here, here are the things that, that would make me uh, worthy of this position. Uh, here are the things that would qualify for me for this position. And there's nothing on my record that would disqualify me, me from this position. That's what we do on a, on a resume. We're saying, please accept me on the basis of my record. Now, I've received a few resumes over the years where, you know, it didn't take but a few seconds to see there's a problem here. Because on a resume, we tend to put our best foot forward, right? And I've received a kind of a lot of resumes through the years where, you know, there's a, you look at it for a few seconds and, and man, it, it's sloppy and the formatting's off and there's tons of typos and misspellings and, and on and on and on. And I'm thinking, hey, if this is your best foot forward, I don't want to see the other foot. <laughs> and so those resumes get kind of file 13 into the, the trash. Well, listen, if we stand before a holy God on the strength of of our own record. We deserve to be file 13 right into hell because our record does not measure up. And that's the whole point that Paul is making from 118 all the way through 320. We are guilty sinners before a holy God and we cannot stand before him in the strength of our own record. Your record will not make you right before this God. But now, but now, verses 21 and 22. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But now, sweetest two words ever written, but now God has come to us in our perilous state. In love, he has literally come to us, became a human being. And he lived the perfect life that you and I can never live. 
and he went to the cross and he paid the price for our sins and he rose from the dead. You see, Jesus Christ had a perfect record. He had a perfect record. And he has come for us. Now, let's note a couple of things here about these verses. First of all, note the phrase, the, the righteousness of God. We see it twice. See it in verse 21. See it again in verse 22. The, the, the righteousness of, of, of God. What we've been seeing all the way from 118 to 3, 320 is that, is that our record of righteousness cannot make us right with God. Your record will not make you right. But what if I told you that there was one who had a perfect record, that lived the perfect life that you could never live, who obediently went to the cross and took your sins upon himself and paid for them and rose from the dead? And what if I told you that his perfect record could be credited to your account? Much better, what if the Bible told you that? The Bible does tell you that. And that is the heart of this good news. That even though your record will not make you right, the record of Jesus Christ is perfect. And his perfect record can be credited to your account when you repent of your sins and when you trust in him. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And note here, when we think about faith in Christ, th this is not some sort of you know, generic faith. It is faith specifically in Jesus and his finished work for you. It is faith in Jesus Christ. President Eisenhower is, is reputed uh, to have once said that, uh, that Americans are people of, of deep faith, and I don't care what it is. Well, <laughs> I'm glad Ike was a better general uh, and a better president than he was a theologian if he actually said that, because God cares very much what your faith is. <laughs> it is only faith in Jesus Christ that saves because he's the only Savior. And so it's, it's the object of your faith that matters most. Who have you placed your faith in? You know, you could have faith that you could put on a, you could glue feathers to your body and, and, and fly to Chicago this afternoon. You know, you could have a great deal of confidence that your glued on feather outfit is going to get you there. Or you could have faith that you could go to the airport in Norfolk and get on a plane and you could trust that the plane was going to actually get you to Chicago. Which one of those faith scenarios do you think is going to work out? You see, it's, it's, it's the key thing, is who, you, who you place your faith in. What do you place your, the object of your faith? It's faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work that saves because he's the only savior. And that's what we, we see next here. The, the good news is about a gift of grace. It's about a gift of grace. Let's look from the latter part of verse 22 through the beginning of verse 25. Paul says, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Wow. This is just skewer after skewer of gospel meat coming at us here. We begin here in the latter part of verse 22, where he says, for there is no distinction. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian or Hispanic or man or woman or rich or poor. It doesn't matter who your parents were, what kind of home you grew up in. It doesn't matter whether you were a goody two-shoes or a wild child growing up. Verse 23 says that what? All have sinned. Everybody, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Compared to the glorious righteousness of God, our record falls pathetically short. And listen, not only are we sinners, but God is morally obligated to deal with sin. He cannot wink at it. He's holy. He's righteous. He he cannot sweep it beneath the rug. Sin has to be dealt with. And if we got what we deserved, we would deal with it forever in hell. But instead, God gives his son for us. Verse 24 says we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, that word justified in verse 24 is really the same word in Greek as the word righteous. In fact, when you see justified and when you see righteous, think the same Greek word. It comes from the same, same, same word, same word family. And basically what it means when it talks about being justified is it means being made right. Right? That's the word. Kind of same word, righteous, justified. It means made right. To be justified is to be made right with God. From 118 to 320, we have been seeing what? That we're in the wrong with God. <laughs> we're seeing here how we can be made right with God. And, and how can we be made right with God? It's through grace, right? We're justified by his grace. As a gift, grace means unmerited favor. It means that we cannot earn this. That it comes to us as the the gift of God. We can only receive it by faith. New Testament scholar Douglas Moo says this, grace is the way in which God has acted in Christ, unconstrained by anything beyond his own will. God's justifying verdict is totally unmerited. People have done and can do nothing to earn it. And this is a blow to our pride, which is why so many people have issues with grace, because we're prideful people. Another New Testament scholar, Michael Byrd, says this, I've learned from experience that it is human nature to resist, deny, laugh at, walk away from, and even to spit on grace. One of the most dramatic moments in Les Miserables is when Inspector Javert is forced to accept the fact that he owes his life to a convict, a common criminal, Jean Valjean. 
Rather than show gratitude to Valjean for his act of mercy, Javert prefers suicide. He would rather die than admit that he lives in the debt of a criminal. Javert knew law, merit, and reward, but he could not live with the concept of grace. I'm sad to say that the world is full of Javert's. Indeed it is. And that is because grace is such a blow to our pride. Because the grace of God demands that we humble ourselves and acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy and acknowledge that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. That we are sinners that need to just cast ourselves on the mercy of a savior. Ah, that is not something that prideful human beings want to admit. That we need a savior that we need a, a, a redeemer. That's the, the other word here that we see in verse 24 is, is redemption. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So redemption is a concept that comes from the Old Testament. And just as God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt, he redeems us from slavery to sin. Just like that night that God redeemed his people from slavery to Egypt, the death angel passed over their homes because the blood of the Passover lamb had been smeared on their doorpost. The blood of those Passover lambs pointed to the ultimate Passover lamb. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Jesus, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And that brings us to verse 25, which is all about that sacrifice. Paul says here of Jesus in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation, big theological word, really important word, we need to understand it. It simply means this. It means a turning away of wrath. Propitiation means a turning away of wrath. What do we see in, in, in 118? That the wrath of this holy God is being revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And we are ungodly and unrighteous. <laughs> and his wrath would be justly turned toward us. But in love, God becomes a human being. And on the cross... His own wrath is turned against himself. The wrath that we deserve is, 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 is turned on Jesus. God takes the wrath that we deserve in our place. Tim Keller says this about it. God does not set his justice aside. He turns it on himself. The cross does not represent a compromise between God's wrath and his love. It does not satisfy each halfway. Rather, it satisfies each fully and in the very same action. On the cross, the wrath and love of God were both vindicated, both demonstrated, and both expressed perfectly. You see, in the gospel, not only is the righteousness of God granted to sinners, but the righteousness of God is displayed by God. His own righteousness is displayed in the gospel. 
And that's where Paul is going here in the latter part of verse 25 and, and verse 26. He says here, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. See, Paul knows that everything he's saying raises the question, well, what about Old Testament saints? What about people in the Old Testament who trusted in God, who sincerely repented of their sins and, and trusted in God and, and who were relying on the, the, the mercy of God to save them? They didn't have all the pieces put together about the, the cross and, and all of that, but they, they had repented of their sins. They were, they were trusting in God's mercy to save them. Well, what about those people? Paul is saying here, when he says that God had passed over former sins, what he means is that he had left the sins of those people unpunished because he knew that one day he was going to come and take the punishment on the cross. And so he accepts Old Testament, Old Testament saints based on the work of Jesus. It's the same basis on which he accepts us as, as well. And then in verse 26, he says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, at the, at the cross, God pours out, he shows his justice by pouring out his wrath on sin and he shows his love by pouring out his love for sinners because the blood of Jesus was poured out on the tree. To get the grace. Third, the good news means we boast only in the cross. Verses 27 and 28. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Every other religion is about human achievement. It is what people do to try to make themselves acceptable to God. Biblical Christianity is not about human achievement. It is about a divine accomplishment. It is what God has done for us in Christ. And so therefore, we have no grounds to boast about anything, we boast only in the cross. As Paul says in Galatians, uh, I boast only in the cross, may I boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. All our grounds for boasting and our works are taken away. Now look, unfortunately, most people do not get this. And it is at the heart of the gospel. I can't tell you the hundreds of conversations that I've had with people where I, I, I ask them, I'm trying to diagnose kind of where they are. I'm trying to diagnose sort of, you know, who they're trusting in. Are they, they, are they relying on Jesus? Are they relying on themselves? I mean, what are they trusting in? And so I ask people, you know, sometimes I'll ask them, hey, hey, so when you hear the word gospel, I mean, what do, you, what do you think of? Sometimes I even give people a head start and I'll say, so the gospel means good news and it's the good news at the heart of the Bible. And they respond to that question, not by talking about good news. <laughs> they respond by talking about themselves and, and all the good things they've done. 
and all the bad things they haven't done. And it's clear that what they're trusting in is them. It's about them. It's not about Jesus. They are relying on their own record to save them. And it is tragic. You know, Keller says, you know, to rely on our own record to save us. I mean, that would be like a drowning man who's out there drowning and about to go, about to go underwater, holding up a fistful of $100 bills and saying, I'm okay, I've got money. It won't work. It's not going to do any good at that point. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus alone. Fifteen-year-old boy, Charles Spurgeon, who became the greatest preacher of the 19th century, one foul weather Sunday, snowy Sunday, wandered into this little chapel on a side street, lost, feeling desperate. The preacher wasn't there that day. A guy from the congregation got up and, and he had a, his text was Isaiah 45, 22, where God says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. I want to read to you from Spurgeon's autobiography about what he says happened at that point. He says of this preacher, <laughs> He had not much to say, so thank God, for that compelled him to keep on repeating his text. And there was nothing needed by me at any rate except this text. Look unto me and be saved. Then I had this vision. Not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. I saw what a savior Christ was. And as the snow fell on my road home from that little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked to me and told of the pardon I had found, for I was white as the driven snow through the grace of God. Amen. What a gospel. Let's pray. Friend, what are you trusting in? Where's your confidence today? Are you relying on your record to save you, or are you relying on the record of Christ? Do you think salvation is about what you can do to make yourself acceptable to God or do you think it's about what God has done for you in Jesus? Is it about your human achievement or is it about a divine accomplishment in what Jesus has done for you? Are you relying on Jesus alone today to save you? Are you trusting only in his record? I hope so. Grace comes to us as a gift this is a gift of grace. But I'm telling you, like any other gift, it only becomes yours when you receive it. You've got to receive it personally. And the Bible says the, the only way to receive it is to repent and believe. That means turn. It, to repent means to turn. It means turn from sin and self and trying to do life apart from God, relying on yourself. Turn to Jesus and trust, trust in him alone and his accomplishment for you on the cross. <laughs> Repent and believe today. Call out to him right now, right where you are from your heart. Say, Lord, I turn to you. I trust in you. My life is yours. My, all my confidence is in Jesus and what he's done for me. I give my life to you.
right now. Don't leave this place without doing that. And Jesus tells us that when we really mean business, that we're not gonna keep that decision to ourselves. We're to acknowledge him openly before others. Just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing song of invitation. And I wanna invite you to come. Just share with me. If you're coming to Christ, share with me what God has done in your life. We wanna celebrate with you and come alongside you as we seek to live for him together. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about making this church family your church family, we wanna invite you to come and we wanna welcome you today. Just a need in your heart for prayer. You wanna pray with someone. Don't leave here without praying with someone, talking with someone. We're here for you. So Father, we give you this time of, of decision. Lord, would you work, would you have your way in hearts today? Lord, make this a new beginning for many. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.